0: Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, January 18th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe. Dozens of Long Island school districts face potential losses of state financial aid during the 2024-25 fiscal year under a proposed budget announced earlier this week by Governor Kathy Hochul and Newsday Review finds details of the governor's plan, which includes nearly $35 billion in school assistance statewide, were released in Albany late Tuesday. The Reductions would be a result of Hochul's proposal this week to end uh, the provision in state aid called Hold Harmless, which has been in existence for decades. That provision has meant school districts could depend on getting at least as much school aid as in the previous year. Some local school leaders remain hopeful. Remained hopeful yesterday that the New York State Legislature will restore funding for the upcoming school year. A Newsday analysis found that while at least 77 districts will gain more than $182 million in state assistance under the proposal, 44 districts will lose state aid in the coming year, including at least 18 districts facing cuts above. Ten percent. The East End district faces a cut of more than twenty percent in proposed state aid. Amagansett by sixteen point seven eight percent. Bridgehampton by four point eight five. East Hampton by twenty point one seven. East Quag by three point three. Montauk by thirteen point twenty two. Sag Harbor by sixteen point nine nine. Southampton by 14.23, Southold by 12.42, Springs by 4.5%, Tuckahoe by 16.48%, so almost 16.5%, and state aid to the West Hampton Beach School District would be reduced by 6.88%. State Budget Director Blake Washington told Newsday that after increasing School aid by $7 billion over the last three years with an additional $13 billion increase in federal aid during the same period. It's now time for the state to provide a more sustainable level of funding. In other news, representatives of Stony Brook University speaking at an express sessions panel discussion last week said they were committed to the Southampton campus and looked forward to the construction of a new hospital and the opportunity provide affordable housing at the site, as well as draw in the broader community with new educational and cultural offerings. Stephen J. Coates reporting on 27East.com that plans for building a new hospital on the campus were discussed. The idea first aired more than a decade ago when Stony Brook University Hospital and Southampton Hospital merged. Ken Wright, the chair of the Southampton Hospital Association, which is responsible for building the facility, said the COVID pandemic slowed progress, as did last year's departure of Robert Schalliner, Sony Brook Southampton Hospital's former CEO, who was the lead fundraiser for the project. Quote, when we started, I thought this would be a five or six-year process, Wright said. Turned out building a hospital is about a 15-year process. Nonetheless, Wright said, Plan remains in place and that he was hopeful the hospital would be built on the Stony Brook-Southampton campus within six years. The Southampton Hospital Association has already raised about $60 million of its $250 million target. And separately, it had raised $40 million for the East Hampton Emergency Department and another $30 million for the Phillips Family Cancer Center on County Road 39 Wright said a new push would begin soon quote we'll be announcing in the next month a new hire at our foundation who will be dedicated to the capital campaign end quote and finally here in Southampton Village the bo- the board voted unanimously last week to declare a more than 300 year old beech tree situated on a triangle of grass where Hill Street meets East Gate Road at the western edge ...of the village abutting Shinnecock uh, territory as a heritage tree of the village of Southampton. Kaylin Riley reporting on 27East.com that the board made the designation in response to concerns raised by members of the Shinnecock Nation... ...who had been camped out in protest at the tree for weeks and are still there at press time. Worried that work done recently around the tree by National Grid to install a gas main check valve... To service and support an existing natural gas pipeline in the area that runs down nearby Tuckahoe Road and along Hill Street could have caused harm or damage to the tree. Peter Greelish, an arborist and member of the village's tree commission, said that while he does not think any of the work that was done by National Grid will co- ultimately cause any short or long term damage to the tree, the Shinnecock Nation was right to raise concerns. Quote, the tree should be protected in any manner it possibly can be. Staying in Southampton for the weather, looking like a mostly cloudy Thursday with a high near 34 degrees. Wind chill values between 15 and 20. West wind around 16 miles per hour tonight. A 30% chance of snow after 4 a.m. Cloudy otherwise, with a steady temperature around. 33 degrees, wind chill values between 25 and 30 miles per hour, west wind, uh, or excuse me, wind chill values between 25 and 30 degrees, west wind, 6 to 11 miles per hour, becoming north after midnight. Right now, it's 22 degrees. I've got a fake edition of The Heart. We got some uh, real tracks leading us out. And we'll be kicking off with MXM Tunes, No Faker. Pickings were weird for this one, but uh, the inspiration is fantastic. And we're very, very much looking forward to Dr. Elizabeth Barry White joining us at the bottom of the hour to talk about a book that she co-authored with Joanna Sliwa called The Counterfeit Countess. About Janina Melberg, who was a Jewish mathematician who, posing as a Polish aristocrat and working for the welfare office. And secretly, the resistance would regularly go into uh, Majdanek concentration camp at SS headquarters in Lublin, bringing food, medicine, sneaking correspondence, and ultimately, I believe, saving the lives of more than 10,000 people. From the ghastly fate so many suffered there. So stay tuned for that interview at the bottom of the hour. Um, Love and Conan Gray, Chastity Belt, the academic, uh, the Technicolors and the hails in your immediate listening future. But again, MXM tune right here kicking off the heart on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. WLIWFM. We play music from all decades and genres, and we interview folks from all walks of life all morning and midnight long on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. <laughs> okay. okay.
1: Picking clocks, these people talk about who I'm supposed to you drag me down no I ain't got time no time for complicators say what you want don't care too hard on myself i had to learn to be fair i ain't got room no room for trouble
2: Everyone. I got my phone calling me up when you're getting drunk you say you're in love but what do you mean because when you wake up you blame it on drugs and then we break up your lie through your teeth you just want to play little games for attention you just want to play little games for attention telling me your perfect lies and I'm wasting all my time because baby you're so fake Uh-oh. You just wanna play little games for attention. You just wanna play little games for attention. Pushing me away so I crave your affection. I got my phone.
0: Love and Conan Gray leading us toward the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, a little after midnight, if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for our thoughtful Thursday segments. Very excited to welcome on our next guest for the first time co-author of The Counterfeit Countess, the Jewish woman who rescued thousands of Poles during the Holocaust. Uh, Yanina Melberg was a Jewish mathematician who, posing as a Polish aristocrat and working for the welfare office, and secretly the resistance would regularly go into Majdanek concentration camp at SS headquarters in Lublin, bringing food, medicine, Uh, And sneaking correspondence and ultimately freeing, I believe, more than 10,000 people from the ghastly fate so many suffered. We're honored to have one of the historians who brought this incredible woman's life to light, Dr. Elizabeth Barry White, joining us this morning ahead of the book's release on January 23rd and International Holocaust Remembrance Day next weekend. Good morning, Barry.
3: Hi, Gianna. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity today to talk about the truly amazing Yanina Mailberg.
0: And thank you so much for being with us. Can you describe what it was like for you receiving the manuscript for Yanina's memoir after delivering a paper on Maidonic to the American Historical Association Convention? Because you had known of her, but not the entire story of her identity and personhood.
3: Well, I uh, I didn't know of her at that moment. I, I had studied Maidanek concentration camp and gave this paper, and afterwards, a historian I didn't know handed me an envelope containing a carbon copy on onion skin paper of what he said was the memoir of a Jewish woman who had helped prisoners at Maidanek, and her memoir. In her memoir, she claimed that she had been. Uh, the Countess Sukodolska, right. Uh and I was able to confirm from some post-war studies of Maidanik and statements of former Maidanik prisoners that there was a Countess Sukodolska who did do resistance and relief uh, activities at Maidanik. but nowhere was there any indication that the Countess was not a Countess, right. that she was using an alias, much less that she was a Jew. And I was given this manuscript because uh, this historian had tried to get the memoir published but had not succeeded. uh, And he was giving it to some archives, but he hoped that maybe since I was writing about my donic, I would be able to make some use of it. But I really couldn't. You were were a
0: new mother at the time. You were working for the Department of Justice on investigations and prosecutions of Nazi criminals living in the United States where you served as deputy director and chief historian of the office of special investigations and as deputy chief and chief historian of the human rights and special prosecutions section. Uh, Do you mind if we, uh, we take a a brief pause uh, and and comment on that period of your life and the, the challenges with that work? I, I watched that devil next door series on Netflix this year, but I'm sure that doesn't even begin to scrape the, the top of the iceberg.
3: Yeah, it, that's complete fiction. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's not what my work was like. I, I was uh, a historian with the Department of Justice Office of Special Investigations, and we had a staff of historians who were actually the investigators for the office. Uh, they were the ones, and for example, for a long time, my job was to find the new investigations for the office by identifying people who participated in Nazi crimes and then tracking any who came to the United States and developing enough evidence to open an investigation. Right. Uh, so most of our cases were based on, uh, on documentary evidence, uh, as well as some witness testimony. So the historians would Find
0: that evidence and also
3: identify potential witnesses.
0: So you had hoped at that time that that someone out there uh, and uh, would would do the legwork as far as verifying Yanina's story. No such luck. The historian who gave you the manuscript, uh, Mr. Funk, died in 2007, and ten years later, as a historian at the Holocaust Memorial Museum in D.C., from which you've recently retired. Uh, the weight of having her story remain unverified finally became uh, too much for you and you dove in. Tell me about this decision. Yes. Well, I mean, it. I never forgot
3: uh, this story because right. it was so amazing that if it was true, I, I really believe it was important and, and deserved to be told. Uh, but as you say, no one else took up the challenge uh, in the 2017, I, I was digging around on the internet and finally found it's actually in the footnote of a 1972 book review <laughs> a reference that made me think that she really was Countess Sukodolska. Uh, but I still didn't have the ability to confirm all of the memoir's claims, particularly because I don't know Polish. Mm. And so that's why I ended up reaching out to Joanna Sleva, whom I only knew by reputation as an expert on the Holocaust in Poland, to see whether she would want to take on the task of, of verifying the memoir's claims. She, Unfortunately,
0: she was just as fascinated by Yanina's story as I was and, and, and eager to sign on. Can you talk a bit more about, about your partner in the project, about Joanna yeah, so Joanna um, uh, has a
3: PhD in, in Holocaust studies, and uh, she is a historian for the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany. Uh, uh, she is uh, the author of a prize-winning book, A Jewish Childhood in Krakow, I believe, and uh, she's just an amazing researcher. <laughs>
0: And so talk a little bit about the process of, of verifying uh, this story, which it m- must have been incredibly challenging, especially considering how many times uh, uh, there was a, a, a change in identity and name in Yanina's life. I mean, she was born Peppy Spinner?
3: Yes. All I had to go on originally was, Um, the biographical information that her husband provided in a preface to the memoir because she did not identify herself in the memoir. And so based on that, I thought she was born Janina Spinner in 1915 and got her Ph.D. in 1938. Eventually, actually, with the help of a couple of philosophers in Poland, I discovered that she was actually born in
0: 1905 and her name was Pepi Spinner. Right, and she kept she kept changing the year as well of her birth yes. as well. So she was it was quite a quite a moving target here.
3: Yes, it was. Yes, and uh, it was uh, really challenging. To, there were so many dead ends in our research. Uh, for example, we never found any birth records for her, her sisters, her parents. So we know she had two sisters. She might have had more siblings. Um, but at the same time, we, we discovered sources in unusual places. For example, the New York Public Library has some of her her letters and some photos of her.
0: Unbelievable. Uh,
3: yeah. So we ended up doing research in archives and and and, and interviewing people. Um, I think it was nine countries on four continents.
0: How long did it take?
3: Um. Well, from 2018 to, we're we're still actually looking into it, (laughs) but uh, we got together in 2018. I had done some research already, and then uh, we turned in the manuscript in uh, September 2022, so four years. And, of course, the pandemic was occurring during a lot of that, so I have to acknowledge that we got help from so many different people, archivists and scholars uh, in Poland and elsewhere, we would not have been able to, to do this otherwise.
0: Unbelievable. That's an interesting, a point that, that, uh, many people might've had, uh, less, less going on that they could, they would be able to field, uh, requests that maybe they might not have, if it hadn't been for the economic downturn and staying home.
3: Well, I, I I, I don't think it was that. I think they were all really interested in the story when they learned about it. And um, uh, it was just, we couldn't, we had planned to go to Poland and Ukraine where she lived for the first part of her life uh, in the spring of 2020, (laughs) but of course that became impossible. Right. Uh, and uh, even after things lightened up some with the pandemic, there were, there were new outbreaks. The, the archives were either closed or they were on very restricted hours. And so it just wasn't really possible for us to go and do the research there until May 2022, uh-huh. by which time we could no longer go to Ukraine. Yeah. so we had to enlist the aid of other people and a few we paid but a lot of people just helped
0: us it is a fascinating story I think w- one of my favorite parts is how much her mathematical mind uh, figured into decision making her uh, primarily she's, she's very interested in, in probability so you know standing up those uh, few times to save her husband, and uh, noticing how she could uh, cow, uh, you know, uh, almost hoax her way into saving the life of her husband, and then realizing that this was, there would only be however many more chances for them to stay alive, and deciding, well, you know, this is something I'm not going to get out of alive. So uh, as, the, as one of the chapter reads, uh, better to die a soldier than a victim, uh, uh, an unbelievable story. Barry, do you mind talking a little bit about uh, what Janina uh, really did? Yes. Yeah, so
3: she became, uh, using her false identity as Countess Sukodowska, she became a key official in a Polish relief organization. Uh, that was only allowed to help non-Jewish Polish victims of Nazi persecution. And since she had perfect German, part of her responsibility was to negotiate directly with Nazi and SS officials in Lublin, Poland. And uh, she was able to uh, win uh, the release from captivity of thousands of Poles, including more than 4,000 from Majdanek, also at Majdanek. She persuaded the SS to allow her organization to deliver massive quantities of food five days a week for thousands of prisoners. And she herself brought these deliveries inside the camp, a place where 63,000 Jews were murdered in gas chambers and shooting pits. And she used those deliveries to smuggle supplies and messages to members of the resistance imprisoned in the camp under the very noses of the SS. In fact, she was able to uh, develop friendly friendly relations with a few of the SS guards and staff members uh, who who gave her help.
0: It's just an unbelievable story. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about about the other countess, uh, a true countess? Would, was she working at an at an in another place uh, that sort of was like set the. Uh, set the outline for for what Yanina uh, would later do?
3: You're talking about uh, Countess Karolina Lonskaronska. Yes. uh, Who was a real countess. Yes.
0: Uh,
3: A very, very high nobility. Uh, She uh, was actually an art historian inspired by her father's magnificent art collection. And uh, then in uh, 19... uh, 40. she was in uh, Krakow, uh, which was uh, the capital of the part of the, of the Polish colony that the Germans had set up uh, called the general government. And she heard that Polish prisoners were starving to death in the prisons. So she went to the head of this welfare organization and said, we have to feed the Poles uh, in the prisons and you should put me in charge of this operation because I'm a woman Uh, So I'm not threatening. I don't have any husband or family, so I can't be threatened. And I have perfect German. And she was not someone you said no to. (laughs) So she was put in charge of this and she just went around from prison to prison, uh, persuading the officials at each one to allow her organization to deliver food for the prisoners. And at the same time, she was also in the resistance and she was gathering information that she passed on to the resistance about the prisons and she organized smuggling net- networks to help the prisoners. Then uh, in one area where she was working uh, in uh, that's now uh, Western Ukraine, uh, she uh, ran afoul of the Gestapo head who had her arrested right. and was going to have her executed. He was very annoyed that she kept insisting that he uh, provide information about hundreds of intellectuals he had ordered arrested. So before he executed her, he bragged to her about how he had had them all killed and about how he had killed intellectuals in other parts of of Poland. So then uh, she had her family relations with the Royal family of Italy, which was Germany's ally, and they intervened for her with Heinrich Himmler, the head of the SS. And he was faced faced with this dilemma. He couldn't execute her. That was politically inadvisable, but he also couldn't release her because she knew too much. So he put her in Ravensbrück concentration camp, figuring that the conditions there would finish her off. she lived to be more than 100. Unbelievable. And uh, she also taught art history to the prisoners at Robbinsbrook.
0: Unbelievable. Did did Yanina know of her story? I imagine there must have been uh, some sort of uh, at least communication to her because, I mean, there's just so many uh, similarities between the two as far as uh, the way they uh, went about things and how unbelievably brave they were in the face of—
3: Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't think she I, she didn't know I don't think she knew what uh, uh, Countess Lanskaronska had done because Yanina didn't join the uh, okay. the RGO the Relief Organization until after Lanskaronska had been arrested. Right. Uh, so at the beginning of the war, Yanina uh, was living in in what is today Lviv, Ukraine. Uh, was then part of Poland, uh, and uh, it was only in 1941 that she escaped to Lublin with the help of an old family friend who was a Polish count, right, uh, and who got her and her husband their uh, false identities as the count and the countess.
0: Because the countess, the, the the real countess, she was also in the resistance as well. I didn't know if maybe there was some instruction. Uh, of some type uh, that might have been uh, relayed to her, or stories. I don't know. She did not write about that, so right. I have no source for that. So, and and when did she ultimately come to the, the United States?
3: Yes, she came. Uh, so. After when the war ended, she was still in danger from the communist officials because she had served in the anti-communist resistance. So she kept her false identities to, false to avoid you know any questions. Uh, and uh, she actually became the deputy director of Poland's social welfare agency at, immediately after the war, which gave her contacts to. Foreign aid organizations. She used these to get her husband Henry out to Canada in 1949. And then in 1950, somehow, we don't know the details, she escaped from Poland, showed up in Berlin, and defected at the Canadian military mission. So she joined Henry uh, in Canada in 1950. Then in 1956, they immigrated to Chicago. He was a Philosopher of physics and had a teaching position at the University of Chicago, and she in the 1960s became a tenured full professor of mathematics at the Illinois Institute of Technology. So extremely unusual
0: position for a woman in the 1960s. I guess she, I mean she was in a virtually all male field her whole life, right? She was <laughs> she had she had wanted to be a uh, get a doctorate in mathematics, and there were, what, five? Something like that? Women. Yeah, only five
3: women, yes. Unbelievable. In interwar Poland who, who who were able to get doctorates in mathematics. So her, her master's degree, uh, she studied under two of the leading mathematicians in Europe at that time, but they took a dim view of women in the highest levels of their field, so she ended up actually getting her Ph.D. in philosophy, but specializing in math. So she wrote her dissertation on uh, mathematical reasoning and traditional logic. Right. Yeah. And interestingly, her theory was that um, mathematical reasoning requires more than just traditional logic, but also needs other forms of thought, particularly imagination and intuition.
0: Interesting.
3: Yes, and she <laughs> used all of those.
0: <laughs> that, that is absolutely it. It, it was it was every every single encounter. There were so many. Uh, you know, I felt a kinship because I I understand that kind of thinking, and I think back on my own life, and I not, not that they were anything like that, but but moments where uh, uh, things could go uh, any number of ways, and you're running the you're running the numbers in your head when you're thinking about your next action. And I just think about uh, the, when she's in the train station and she's uh, and, and when she runs after her husband, her husband, I, I, I was like, I was even more amazed by his survival and, (laughs) and how, you know, really just through her sheer, Refusal to to let him go. Yes. He survived. Yes. She
3: actually, actually rescued him from a mass shooting. Yes. In Lviv. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was something about whenever Henry was in trouble, she just kicked into full rescue mode.
0: And I think that really kind of helped uh, format her for her future and for. Uh, these run-ins and and uh, conversations and, and confrontations at Maidanik.
3: Definitely, definitely, and 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 she didn't only act at Maidanik. She had, you know, she was dealing uh, with uh, uh, all all kinds of measures to try to help poles uh, both through the resistance and through her relief organization. Right, uh, and she, you know, ran into. Trouble <laughs> on a number of occasions, but boy, she could come up with a plausible excuse on a dime. Right, uh, and so she barely she was she was never suspected of being a Jew, but she was suspected of resistance activities and was nearly arrested a few times. Uh, and in fact, at one point, she managed to avoid a trap the Gestapo set for her. But unfortunately, her coworker was caught in it and was tortured and murdered.
0: Do you mind telling us more about that particular instance?
3: Uh, It's a little involved. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yes, so the Gestapo got word that in uh, her deliveries to the camp that she was smuggling in messages to prisoners and sometimes also letting relatives of prisoners go in as as supposed workers of her organization so that they could see their loved ones. Oh, my God. And so they sent a, a couple to try to visit her and to beg her to let the woman <sighs> go see her sister or, or to take pictures to the sister of her children. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, but uh, her her coworkers uh, intercepted the woman and... and, and spirited yanina away from from the headquarters um they actually put her in a bread bag and threw her in a truck
0: wait so did <laughs> they they off. knew they knew that this woman was uh well fa- like if you know uh, that it well, was part well, of- they
3: they knew they knew she knew something was up that she was being followed into the building uh and uh so uh, they didn't know exactly what was happening. But when this couple showed up, then uh, her assistant uh, immediately realized that, that this, this performance the woman was putting on was not real. Wow.
4: Uh,
0: yeah. What's, what's another and, instance where Yanina's where quick thinking really impressed you? Um, so. There are so many, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, which one there's do I go a with? Simple
3: one, a simple one
0: <laughs>
3: to explain. Uh, she was, uh, uh, there was a, a Nazi official, actually a woman uh, in Lublin. Uh, who was part of the agency that oversaw Yanina's organization and and hated Yanina and uh, found evidence that Yanina had uh, not followed strict instructions that she had been given by the governor of Lublin province. Uh, And so Yanina was hauled into the office of the head of that agency uh, and uh, the woman thought she really had Janina trapped, and Janina came up with this explanation that kind of turned the blame onto the woman herself. Nice.
0: What what did she say? Uh,
3: She said, well, I was waiting for this woman's instruction (laughs) because she told me not to interfere with the the Polish organization that was in Lublin City because she was the head of it, and so I was waiting for her instructions. Uh, before doing this thing that the governor ordered, I did it with all of the other care committees, but not with hers because she's
0: told me not to interfere. Oh wow, this is unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. You know, I, 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 I wonder if uh, you know have you have you thought about, or has there been uh, interest in a, a feature film or or documentary about her life as of yet? Or I mean, the book has not even been released. It's coming out on on Tuesday, right? Right, right. Uh, there, there is an agency that is representing
3: uh, uh, the film rights. Fantastic. Um, but, but no, we don't we don't have anything, uh, any agreements yet. But right. yes, I, there are there are so many really vivid scenes yeah. uh, in in the book from the based on the memoir mm. uh, that uh, yeah, it does it does kind of. You you can definitely see how these would translate to to film.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So the counterfeit countess, the Jewish woman who rescued thousands of Poles during the Holocaust, comes out on Tuesday. Uh, Barry, where can folks find the book uh, when it is released?
3: Well, at all the usual places online, uh, uh, you can go to counterfeitcountess.com, which is our website uh, for the book, and you can see places to buy the book, uh, and you can also see um, our events uh, to see if we're coming to give a talk near you.
0: Hopefully, are you will you be visiting us at all uh, in the foreseeable future?
3: Uh, We'll be doing a signing at the U.N. bookstore. Oh, fantastic. Um, Yes, and uh, we're doing a virtual program with the uh, um,
0: Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York. Okay, and we'll be going to counterfeitcountess.com to find out all the details about those appearances. Dr. Elizabeth Barry White from the bottom of the heart of the East End. Thank you not only for being with us, but for uh, for doing this, for uh, bringing Yanina Melberg's s- memoir and story uh, to light, uh, to the fore. Uh, you and Joanna as well, uh, wishing you all the best and uh, very grateful again for your time this morning.
3: Thank you so much, Diana. It's been a delight talking with you.
0: We are going to move ahead. We've got chastity. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, all right, we've got, yeah. I'm going to play chastity belts fake. We've got fake ID from the academic on deck. You, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI, WFM, news you can trust, music you love. Fake ID, perfect track to play after talking about Yanina Melberg. The Technicolors fake a smile leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. After the academic. And the 2018 record, Tales from the Backseat. The fake edition of the Heart Morning and Midnight Show on WLIWFM. wfm with you tonight
5: and we'll dance. When it's hard to act my age right
0: With Long Island local news on Thursday, January 18th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. Republicans in Albany blasted Governor Kathy Hochul as soft on crime one day after she released a budget proposal that included proposals to shutter up to five correctional facilities. Vaughn Golden reporting in the New York Post that GOP senators also said Hochul's idea to tackle retail theft with special task forces, did not go far enough as they laid out the Republican priorities for the state's legislative session yesterday. Quote Our colleagues continue to stick their heads in the sand when it comes to crime, GOP Minority Leader Rob Ort said. In her budget proposal, Hochul laid out plans to use $40 million of state funds to set up task forces of state police and district attorneys meant to focus on stopping. And prosecuting retail theft, ORT and groups representing grocery stores and other shops were quick to react to the governor's plan, saying it doesn't do enough to support local cops. Quote, We'd like to see more money go to local police forces. I don't see state troopers dealing with shoplifting in local communities. She's going in the wrong direction. That quote from Nelson Usabio from the National Supermarket Association and the Collective Action. To Protect Our Stores Coalition. In other news, legendary Long Island investigative journalist Carl Grossman will be the major speaker at a conference this coming Saturday, January 21st, on current threats involving nuclear war. It's been organized by Long Island peace groups and will be held at the Huntington Cinema Arts Center from 2 to 4.30 p.m. this Sunday. There will be a showing of the film The Vow from Hiroshima about Setsuko Takuchi, a survivor of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, active with the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. Grossman, for 20 years, was a member of the Commission on Disarm- Disarmament Education, Conflict Resolution and Peace of the United Nations and International Association of University Presidents. Books he has written include Weapons in Space, The Conference being sponsored by the Long Island Alliance for Peaceful Alternatives, among other groups. For more information, you can go to Cinema Arts Center. That's C-E-N-T-R-E dot O-R-G. And finally, a triple whammy of strong nor'easters in the last month following a stormy autumn has left portions of the Ditch Plains neighborhood vulnerable to flooding and extensive property damage if something is not done to bolster The shoreline almost immediately, residents, said this week, pleading with the East Hampton Town Board to find some way to protect the area. Michael Wright reporting on 27East.com that East Hampton Town officials said they've reached out to state and federal agencies and that the Army Corps of Engineers said on Tuesday it would expedite review of conditions in Montauk and on Fire Island in the wake of the recent storms and are exploring options for other actions that can be taken as a stopgap, quote, we the residents and recreational users of Ditch Plains urgently appeal to the East Hampton Town Board to take immediate and decisive action to address the critical loss of the protective dune at Ditch Plains. That quote from Laura Michaels, the president of the Ditch Plains Association, uh, who is reading from a petition she has circulated, adding, we urge the town to find a comprehensive initiative for sand replenishment and dune restoration to safeguard the future of ditch plains. Uh, Kay Tyler, the executive director of the concerned uh, citizens of Montauk, echoed her saying the last three storms have been back to back, leaving us with no beach at ditch and it's only January. But the beaches in front of the neighborhood are in dire need of The sort of massive replenishment of sand and rebuilding of dunes that's unlikely possible on the small scale the town can muster, Michaels and Tyler acknowledged. they spotlighted frustration that the Federal Army Corps of Engineers is is due to spend $11 million this winter to pump more than 600,000 tons of sand ashore along Montauk's downtown waterfront, but has refused to direct any effort at ditch. Michaels said the town of East Hampton should renew its plea to the Army Corps to reconsider Ditch Plains and its plans, uh, warning that if another severe storm were to come ashore in conjunction with a high tide like the storm that hit on January 10th did, the flooding could reach residential neighborhoods inland. Reading the weather in Montauk, looking like a mostly cloudy Thursday with a high near 36 degrees. Wind chill values between 20 and 25 degrees. West wind around 14 miles per hour tonight. A 30% chance of snow after 4 a.m. Cloudy otherwise, with a steady temperature around 34 degrees. West wind 6 to 11 miles per hour, becoming north after midnight right now. It's just below freezing at 31 degrees. Let's see. We're going from the Technicolor's fake a smile, which led you into the NPR news break. Taking You Out with The Hales, Fake A Frown, The Raytons, Cash In Hand, and Fake IDs, and then Common Jacks, The Christmas Tree is Fake, before uh, two fake tracks that are favorites of mine, Fake Plastic Trees from Radiohead's The Benz and The Nationals' Fake Empire from the boxing record of 2007. Going back to 83 after that with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Fake Friends, right here on the Fake Edition. It's not fake. It's just fake songs in honor of the counterfeit countess, which drops on Tuesday. I'm Jenna Volpe. These are the hails and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, W-L-I-W F M, broadcasting over the air at 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County. Streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org radio. Same place you can find all of the archived episodes of The Heart, of The East End, and all your other favorite shows. Right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. News you can trust and music you love on WLIWFM.
2: In spite of my senses, these feelings need undressing. I want Make ideas and he's gonna be late, gonna be late, gonna be late tonight. Don't get your hopes up, son, but on either away, it's not like...
0: You're listening to WLIWFM, Long Island's only local NPR radio station. That was the ratings
6: The Christmas tree is fake. This is Common Jack. I hear the dogs outside. I'm Gianna Volpe. There's a fog softly hanging on the snow.
0: And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. I
6: must be close to eight. Been awake since close to five.
0: And you're listening. Now
6: I smell the coffee brewing on the stove To W L I W F M. Every holiday leaves me blue, but that's okay. It's the melancholy carols that make me happy anyway. Beneath a plastic tree, ornaments and tinsel strain. We spent hours fighting over the yo-yo Tucked in your stocking Even though you're miles away And years have passed, there's time to say Merry Christmas to you I'm thinking of you too The Christmas tree is fake Grandma says that hers is too Allergies seem to be A family affair. But now it's getting late. The sun is setting soon. And I watch my breath crystallize the air. Every holiday leaves me blue, but that's okay. It's the melancholy carols that make me happy. Neath the plastic tree, ornaments and tinsel string We spent hours fighting over the yo-yo tucked in your stocking Even though you're miles away and years have passed, there's time to say Merry Christmas to you, I'm thinking of you too Leaves me blue, but that's okay It's the melancholy carols that make me happy anyway Beneath a plastic tree Ornaments and tinsel string We spent hours fighting over the oil Tucked in your stocking Even though you're miles away And years have passed, there's time to say Christmas to you. I'm thinking of you too. Merry Christmas to you. I'm thinking of you too.
4: I
0: This edition of The Heart is brought to you by William Riss Gallery and listeners like you who donate to WLIWFM.org.
7: Stay out super late tonight, pick an apple making pies Put a little something in our lemonade And take it with us We're half awake In a fake empire We're half awake In a fake empire Tiptoe through our shiny city With our diamond slippers on do our gay belly and ass Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half awake In a fake empire We're half awake In a fake
0: Cortez bus project with some fake flowers, real dirt after Joan Jett and the Blackhearts here on WLIWFM. (laughs) News you can trust, music you love On WLI-WFM This is the heart of the East End With Gianna Volpe
7: All throughout the district
8: Can't even pass a budget plan
7: as terrorists.
5: This morning on the corner of Saratoga and North Howard, there was another. Enough... 1031 WRNR. Good afternoon, I'm Rich Fisher. New music right now from one of the best live acts
2: anywhere. This is Fake Flowers, Real Dirt.
0: Tricked ya! Yeah. This is Cortez Bus Projects. But we do have some Fake Flowers, Real Dirt from their self titled record. 2013 after this one from last year the cortez 5 space country record of 2023 it's real fake wliwfm
9: everywhere around.
10: MMA to
11: the Orioles.
7: I'm sitting here uh, drinking.
10: Hey,
11: everybody. It's
8: Niecy here at HFS. We're about to hear new music from the soulful, funkiest, fake flowers, real dirt. This is On The One. Check it out.
0: Real Dirt. Alice Smith on deck, Cook It On Three Burners, The Beatles, and then we'll end at the beginning in Montauk with the one and only Nancy Atlas. Real Love. Nancy Burning Up Bay Street. The Fireside Sessions. Find tickets at baystreet.org. And go to wliw.org slash radio to listen to our interview with Nancy on January 5th.
4: a bite out of crime as long as it's not on your die. if honesty will put you in jail you know that we're living in phony times you say you wanna get turned on you visit fuckmehorn.com you take a moment and kick yourself and then you drop yourself You drop yourself a ball
0: NPR News Break at the top of the hour with some real love from the Beatles and the Nancy Atlas Project. I'm Jenna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM news you can trust, music you love.
10: All my